My name's uh, Tim Barker, and my wife uh, Katie and I uh, just moved from Stoneham over here uh, to Beverly Street in Melrose. So I went from a five-minute drive commute here to church to a five-minute walk commute to church. Uh, and I'm excited about the opportunity to open the scriptures with you this morning um, and pick up kind of where Sarah has just left off. As we look into this passage this morning, uh, kind of as you think about what we're, we're doing with this, this story that we come to, I want you to know that the God who created the world and who loves you has given us this story. He's made sure it's lasted to today when you're sitting here so that you could hear the message. And two things are looking to be accomplished as we hear this. He wants you to know him better, chiefly. That's the most important part. And then secondly, so that you would be changed and live differently because of you knowing him. So what I'm going to do is work really hard over the next 20, 30 minutes to try to give you a good understanding so we can achieve those two things. But let's pray together that God will send his spirit and work in our hearts so we can accomplish that as well. God, we do ask that you would speak from these words, that you would open the hearts and minds of everyone in the room so that we might hear the message you have for us. I ask, God, that you would be known better and we would respond because of what you do in our midst today. Amen. Humanity loves stories. We love vivid, round characters. We like really complex dialogues. We like these witty words that are passed back and forth in the stories that we enjoy. We're interested in uh, all kinds of things. Everyone loves a good plot twist, as long as that is eventually resolved and it sort of makes sense to us, right? Uh, I don't know if you're uh, anything like me, but there can be times when you're reading a book and you read this small foreshadow for a little bit later in the story. And then you've got to put the book down, you've got to do something legitimate, and it kind of just sticks with you, right? Throughout the day, you're just saying, when can I go back and crack open that book again and hear the rest of the story? Or, uh, I don't know if this has happened to you as well, but have you ever had one of those TV seasons? This is crazy, right? You can watch like episode after episode with no effort now. You don't have to wait for next week. But as you watch like a season finale, and it's that cliffhanger, it makes totally sane, normal people all of a sudden start binge-watching the show for the rest of the night. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. No, i got to see what happened. You know, going this 20-some episodes sometimes. you got to finish the story. Let's see what happens. We do these things because we love stories. We can't get away from them. They're such a part of our life. Not just for entertainment. We love stories beyond that. Adam Gopnik of The New Yorker writes, uh, Stories, more even than stars or spectacle, are still the currency of life or commercial entertainment and look likely to last longer than the euro. There's no escaping stories, no escaping stories, no pressure to tell them. Human beings are natural storytellers. They can't help telling stories and that they turn things that aren't really stories into stories because they like narratives so much. Everything, faith, science, love, they all need a story for people to find it plausible. No story, no sale. I don't know if any of you have found yourself in a context where you're being trained for professional reasons to learn how to tell stories, to better be a better salesperson, to be someone who's able to present the idea in, in the meeting room. Maybe it's teachers, even just parents trying to get better at that awkward time of telling your kid a story. I feel like I love to read, but I hate reading out loud. It just sounds terrible and I get half the words wrong. Um, so, you know, you have to work at do, being a storyteller. Uh, but because it comes out to those, those impacts, I mean, even Harvard Business Review is interested. Paul Zak writes that our brains are actually wired to respond to stories. They create more of a neurochemical oxytocin. 
That's the happy one if you're familiar with your neurochemicals. Um, when hearing character-driven stories with emotional content, they give us a better understanding and a better feeling and disposition toward the speaker. So stories are something that we really love. So we want to package our life into stories so we can tell them better. And then our very biological makeup seems to appreciate stories. You know where I'm going yet? So today and our next three sermons that are in the book of Acts are all going to deal with the testimony of Paul. And they're going to have different flavors and different segments as that's told. But as we go through the area today, we're going to see that Paul tells us his story. And he walks us through that. Two weeks ago when Clint was leading us up to this, and, and even the part that Sarah's just read, there was a lot of suspense in what was Paul going to have happen to him. He's going to go to Jerusalem, a very ominous scene. And now, as, as Sarah just read, he's been arrested. He's been taken captive by, by the Romans in the midst of this big fight in the Jewish area of the temple. And now as he's standing on the steps, what does he do? He tells a story. And as he gets into the story, that's what we want to try to explain what he's going through here. This is really his defense or his explanation for why he is doing what he's doing. They're asking questions like, what kind of man does this? Who would do the kind of things that he's done? What he's being charged with or angering the crowd with is that he has broken their law and defiled their temple. What does this mean? Well, it would mean that he took this Greek dude that he had walking around town with him into the temple where only Jews could go. But Paul didn't do that. He didn't do it. He had this Greek guy in town with him, but he didn't bring him to the temple. He was respectful. He took other guys there. That's who he was with. But the people got caught up in a fury, got really upset with Paul. The Romans had to step in and take care of things, try to figure out what's going on. As Paul gets his chance to tell his story, uh, he, he breaks out into really narrative form, very similar to what he's done throughout the New Testament. Paul's story is so important, he's told, it's told in Acts 9, it's told here in Acts 22, it's going to be told again in Acts 26, three times in one book it comes up. In Galatians 1, Philippians 3, Paul was a guy who was so captivated and aware of his story that you almost couldn't ask him to speak or put a pen in his hand without him coming back to the story of what Jesus did for him in his life. So what is this that Paul's telling? That's what I'm going to start with and then talk a little bit about how this relates to us. What do we do with our story and kind of build this out? So if you have your Bibles and you're looking at Acts chapter 22, just a couple verses down from where Sarah left off, you can see that he starts to address the crowd. Acts 22 in verse 1, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. All right, this is like when the guy comes in from Southie and starts, starts speaking. We go, okay, what's this guy got to say? He's a local. Let's hear, hear his view of things. Uh, you can imagine even more so if we were under siege and captivated and had to speak a foreign language on a daily basis, what it would sound like to hear your mother tongue, your dialect, your accent of the area coming through. Someone standing in public using that? What's this guy got to say? So you start to listen. He starts off really with his background. Pretty straightforward stuff. He says in in verse 3, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are at this day. He does what most of us do when we introduce ourselves, right? My family is Korean, and I'm from the Bay Area. I'm Italian, and I'm real Boston. My family came over from the Pilgrims, uh, and I'm from the Midwest. Any of those kind of starters that you all have in your, your repertoire of having to introduce yourself countless times to this point in your life. He tells about the cities he's from, and it resonates in his day, similar to ours. If I say I'm from Detroit, you think certain things of me right away. That part's true. 
but you keep going. Um, you know, that comes out. Uh, additionally, if you're from Philly, you're from Brooklyn, D.C. or Seattle, all of those resonate with your, your background, your resume, what people instantly think of. Now, you may prove to be a little bit different than that down the road, but initially that gives them something to think of you. Paul, Paul started with a similar thing, citing himself as from Tarsus. Education, he talks about studying at the feet of Gamaliel here in Jerusalem. This would be the same pedigree as I went to William and Mary or BU and BC, or many of us say, you never heard of the school I went to. Uh, any of those things is how we introduce ourselves. He's getting this background laid out so you know who this guy is that's talking to you. And then a lot of times people talk about what they care about next, right? They talk about I'm married with two kids, one's nine, one's nine, thir- 13. I enjoy fishing and water skiing. I work for Raytheon at the Boston Globe. Whatever fills your time, that comes up. What does Paul say? I'm a law guy. I'm really into keeping the law. I'm really zealous about it. That's who this guy is who starts off to speak. Now, I mean, he got a couple seconds here. I mean, he's standing on the steps. I don't quite know what those steps are like, but, you know, he gets this out pretty quick. This is who I am. This is my background. I'm from the city. You can trust me. I'm a law guy. Listen to what I'm going to say. So that's going to make everyone kind of stop in their seats and sort of say, okay, why is this guy suddenly now breaking Jewish law, defiling the temple? If anybody should know not to do that, it sounds like this guy should be in that position. So after he gives them that introduction, he starts to tell some of his sins. He really breaks into that in verses 4 and 5. He says, I persecuted this way to the death and uh, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And the high priest and the whole council and elders can bear witness. Look at these guys around me. They can tell you I'm that guy. And he says, from them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them to bound to Jerusalem and to be punished. So he's admitting, this is where I came from. I mean, I was a guy who was out there taking people to prison who believed in this Jesus. I was out there seen to their death. I stood in consent of the stoning of Stephen. These things have happened. This is who I am. But then he breaks into, right, in verse 6, down through verse 11, and he gives his encounter with Jesus. We see this recorded throughout the New Testament. Paul gets this right every time. It was an indelible moment in his life that he will never forget and drastically changed everything afterwards. He was on his road to go to Damascus, and that's when Jesus met him. There's a bright light. He speaks to him, and he says, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told all that's appointed for you to do. This is his moment. His outlook, his understanding, his life is all changed from a one-time meeting with Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. Now Paul's case is not common. Even many great men throughout church history and throughout the Bible, haven't had the same meeting with Jesus. But you see a continuity of how this, this interaction happens. There's a way in which Jesus meets with a person in such a remarkable way that everything's different. It changes their background. It changes the way they speak. It changes their relationships. It changes what they want to do in the future. As you come to that moment of believing in Jesus you can't help but think how that changed your story. It's this blip in the middle of your story, your history, that's forever different. Could have been happened a little bit toward the beginning, could have happened in the middle, could have happened a little bit toward the end. But everything from that point, you see a little bit differently. 
After that, basically two more things happen uh, for Paul in this chapter that I'm going to touch briefly on uh, for the sake of time. He basically goes to Damascus, and you know, even though he had his Hebrew and Greek and even Arama- Aramaic down pat, better than any seminarian, he still went for some more training. He heard from Ananias, this is what i got to do. This is what it looks like next. He's getting baptized. He's going to go on for some more training from there. Uh, similarly, we all have to continue to receive training and understanding how do we grow in our faith, what happens next. And then after that, it's very important, you see in verses 17 through 21, just at a high level, just because he's saved doesn't mean all that sin problem was gone. This guy continued to have that history haunt him in the back of his life. doesn't mean that he wasn't forgiven of it, but it means it's part of him. It comes with him. So here he is in Jerusalem, and God's saying, you got to get out of Jerusalem. The people you used to be with, they hate you now. The people that you now would identify with, they don't trust you. So you're a nobody. Okay, you got to get out of town and find somewhere else you can learn. So he kind of heads off to Arabia and does some interesting things there, but that's for another time. What I want to drive home then, as you look at the story of Paul, and I don't think it's unfamiliar to many of you. Maybe it is for the first time for some, and that's great. It's an interesting story to read through and understand. But what I want to drive home is that this is a story that we can tell as well. Now, I don't mean that we appropriate this entire story and you start talking about bright lights and horses on the road to Damascus. That'd be weird. But what we're talking about is how does your own story sound very similar to the work that, that Paul is describing that Jesus did in his life? So I want you to think about that our personal testimony is part of our proof of genuine conversion and it is effective means of witnessing or, or having mission for the gospel. Or to put it succinctly, telling your story is part of gospel mission. So telling your story is actually part of fulfilling gospel mission. So as I try to break this down now for really the rest of our time and talk about how does this mission, the story of Paul that he's telling here, also dictate how we tell our story. How do we talk about what Jesus has done in our life if he's affected us greatly? And I've used an acrostic to try to make sense of this. So if you think of T-E-L-L, tell, uh, that's going to be our guide map. So if you happen to miss me for a couple minutes on a not-so-warm July Sunday, that's okay. Uh, You'll pick it up on the next letter, so we'll catch on from there. So T-E-L-L. So the T, what we're pointing to, is really just talking about thinking rightly about our story. That's the first step in this process. So often we don't know what happened. Maybe we're still working on getting handles around how did this change me? What's the significance of this? So as you try to think rightly about your own story and journey with Jesus, we have to think about how, how, how has this changed me? What, what's going on here? First, first part of that that comes out is we think about our own need, right? If it was real and we were utterly, utterly dead in our sins and couldn't do anything, then we were really in need of someone to save us. So when we think about our story and try to describe it, sometimes we have this, uh, this cool thing. We can look at the past and think, eh, I wasn't maybe a bad, bad guy. I did okay. The reality is, you were a sinner on your way to hell. You couldn't find your left from your right. You were lost in darkness, as blinded it, metaphorically as Paul was literally in this story. And yet, that is when we needed help. So when we describe our story, maybe you tell someone next to you, this is what Jesus did in my life, you have to be really understanding. You know what? I was really in need of Jesus. How do I miss that? How do I tell it now, maybe years later? I can't forget the fact I was lost. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Jesus was reaching into my life. Too often when we talk about Jesus as the answer, we do it within these walls, and we seldom do it with our friends, our colleagues, and our family members. 
There's going to be a way and a timing of doing that. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But as you think about it, we have to be so convinced in our own mind that our life is different because of Jesus and think that way and understand we are in such a need that it's okay to actually articulate that verbally at times as we're speaking with people. The second part about thinking about our story is we better get the hero right. You know, that's really, really important. Too often if we tell our story, we might emphasize uh, that someone who shared the gospel with us, who did a great job, someone who brought us to church, a positive influence in our life, maybe a radio speaker, the pastor of this church, or uh, someone who you've read in a book. They're great people. They were probably used by God in some way to bring you that point. But don't miss it. You were saved because of Jesus. He did the work in your life. He has brought about that big change. So when you think about who, who should be the centerpiece of your story, if you were to tell someone else, it has to be pointing back to Jesus and what he's done. I'm talking a lot about our story, and I'm going to go a little bit further. I just want to take for a moment and just say that our story is part of a bigger story as well that God has in the world. So you have to think about it from that mindset. We should remember that as we spend all this time talking about my story, what I've done, you're really just a small little subplot in all that God is doing in the world. As he paints a story or tells a story, don't mix the metaphor, we talk about uh, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And that little sto- that grand story that God is telling, you're just a micro story of that. That's the same story that happens for all of us. We were created. We're dead in our sins. Christ has acted within us so that we can be a new creation with, with his redemption that he's done. So as we walk through that, we, we fit in that story. And so we mimic this larger meta-narrative. It's as if God of the universe were telling the story audible. He would say, oh, and there was this one guy or this one gal, and they also were made by me. They hated me and sinned against me. They were dead as a doornail in their sins. Then I reached out to them and saved them. No, of course there was nothing special about them. No, that, to be honest, they were a mess. But because of my grace, I gave my son Jesus and his life to save them. I've changed them dramatically. It's, it's remarkable, really, like an amazing poem or a work of art. You should see how different they are. They actually show off my glory now in the way they live, to paraphrase Ephesians 2 a little bit. This is where our story, fit, story fits in, this larger story of what God is doing in our lives. So how do we not, like Paul then, Find our way to bring this up in regular conversations. Bring this story out. So it takes us to the second point of tell, which is the E, which tells us what are the elements that I should be sharing. What, what do I say, Tim? I'm not going to prep. I don't have any maybe special way of putting these words together. So let me tell you just real briefly what you are going to say. Well, probably touch on your background, training, and heritage if they don't know you. Like, tell them your name. Okay, tell, tell them who you are. You know, maybe a little bit about where you're from. Those things are relevant. It's important to know who you are. Start with those things. But then... You're going to tell them some about your encounter with Jesus. How did Jesus meet you? Like, where were you? What were you doing? How did his words come to you? Was it by reading the Bible? Was it someone telling them to you? Were you listening? What captivated you first about Jesus? Have you thought about that? When you think back to when you first believed in Jesus, what is it? You didn't know everything that you may know at this point in your life. What was it, that initial simple message that captivated you? That you said, yes, I believe that. This is someone I can follow. This is changing my life. That's the story that you can tell. That's something you can bring out. It's going to be different for all of us. We're not going to tell the same exact story in that way, but we can start that conversation. It's okay to talk about what we've been learning as we've continued in our faith. How has our life been affected? Maybe it's changed something in our marriage. Maybe it's changed something in our work and what we do on a daily basis. 
And then it's great to talk about ongoing impact from sin. It's great to talk about the fact that we are broken and needy people. We were and we still are. The difference is Jesus. But as we think about what happened before, it's great for people to know where we were, what was happening in our life, what was the struggle, what was the difficulties. And then maybe some of that's still carrying over. Maybe you're still battling with that. Maybe it's something that Jesus is still delivering you from the effects of. That's great. Sharing those details can make a difference in how someone receives the story about Jesus. So that's uh, the T-E. Let's go to L, which is looking for where to share. So I want to get real practical and talk about a little bit of the settings, about where you might actually tell your story of meeting Jesus. So I have a few settings that uh, I've found myself in and just kind of throw these out there. Uh, One of these is is one-on-ones, right? So you sit down with someone and you talk about life. And usually, uh, that other person is able and free to tell you everything about their life, and we're always kind of like, should I tell you the Jesus part now? Should I wait? Mm." Okay, let's see when this comes up. We're just saying it's a normal conversation, one-on-one. A person can exchange their view of the world and what's going on. They probably don't hate you or they wouldn't be talking to you, so you have an opportunity to probably just say, oh, and I've been to church, or Jesus is a part of my life. Here's what he's done in my life. You have some ability to do that. It's not going to dramatically change that person's life in an instant, typically, uh, but it's going to give that opened opportunity that you're free to talk about something that's really important to you. Sometimes in small group settings, maybe you're sitting with three or four other people, and there's opportunities to exchange thoughts around ideas, right? This is my view of this current event. This is what's going on. Those are perfect settings where it's fine to give the Jesus perspective. Also want to remind us of ad hoc situations. You're just in a situation, and and these are my favorite spirit moments, is when you're asked a question. Because you didn't facilitate anyone to ask you a question. It's really hard to do that, to make you ask me a specific question. So when a question is asked, you know the spirit's working. You know, here's my chance. I've got to answer this question. This is an honest question that's presented at me. Uh, sometimes meeting with other believers. You think, okay, maybe just sharing your story is only about unbelievers. No, 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 don't hear that. As you meet in community with believers on a regular basis, it's important that you share your story. Where are you coming from? What has Jesus saved you from? And what is he working through in your life? That's going to bring you closer together, and it's going to be a strengthening power within that group itself. And then large public settings. You know, There will be moments when you're on stage, and you may have a chance to give a brief, probably incomplete, testimony to Jesus. You take that opportunity, you go with it. Uh, Sometimes it might be more extended. Those are going to be fewer and far between, but something that we have to step up to the plate and take those as well. So some personal examples of where I've told my part of my story or where I should have told part of my story come up from time to time. These are kind of the settings. So one of them, big work context. People are asking, what are your top three priorities of life? Kind of like, you really want to ask me that? You could ask this guy and I can tell you what his are. You want to tell me the top three priorities? Working on the list. Okay, so that's weird in a work setting, but okay, I'll answer that. Here we go. Asked why should I do uh, such and such as a virtuous activity. That's a tough one for me. I constantly dodge this. Uh, I'm a nice person. I don't know. I want to help people. Uh, I don't want to tell them, well, Jesus has brought me into the community, and you know, I want to love, love my neighbors. Something simple like that. You get asked it all the time. Anytime you do something nice, probably someone's going to point that out and wonder what you're doing. What are you reading? This is a, ter- a tough one for me sometimes. I'm like, kind of an ancient Sumerian, never mind. Let's go on. Uh, asked why a Midwest guy is living here on the East Coast. What is your situation? Where are you placed? Asked what you've studied or why you have this job. Uh, these questions come up from time to time. Those are usually opportunities that you can speak to where Jesus intersects and your story is part of his. 
The last L is living proof. So why is it so important? I've told you all these basic things. Let me end with why is it important that you tell your story? It's important because those around you need to know that God saves people like you. Every one of you. It's big enough room I can point at people. So God saved you. And there's other people who are a little bit like you, maybe some more like you than you'd think. And it's remarkable that God saved you. That's a story that's captivating. That's something that moves people in a way that you can't just do it with abstract thoughts. Hearing that people have trusted Christ, let's say that's your story, at a young age, that can be a strong motivator to our children and youth to know this person's believed in Jesus since they were like really young. That's weird. Okay, that's possible. What, what do I, you know, what's going on? It encourages us as a church to go, we're going to put investment and time in discipling our children because we know people who are here who have been loving Jesus for 20 plus years. They're still doing it. That's huge. Hearing that you have been addicted or enslaved to pornography, alcohol, gambling, and God has reached into your life and saved you from that is compelling to others who are caught in those same snares who might, or who might be tempted to. Single people who are here, who love God with all your heart and are on mission to live holy and selflessly, your story needs to be told that you're awake and alivened with all of your heart, and that's what single-hearted devotion looks like. That's a message that we can see out in front of us that captures the heart and minds of other people and is totally countercultural to see a single person who is not self-absorbed in our world and community. Divorced or remarried folks, tell us your story of how Jesus has been more than enough for you through the heartache, through the pain, and the changes in your marriage, in your life. Tell us the futility of so much that we crave in this life, of how Jesus is better than infidelity. Jesus is better than wealth. And Jesus is better than even our spouse. Older saints, tell us your story. Tell us what it has been like loving and serving Jesus for decade after decade after decade. Motivate and change our focus away from all the things that we spend our time on and help us think about what lasts, what's the long-term view on this, and help our hope of heaven to be more mindful, as I'm sure most of you are thinking around that more. God saves and loves a whole host of people from various backgrounds, in various situations, life settings, with a whole catalog of sins and through varied struggles. And each of those stories are compelling in different ways, and we have to tell them. We have to tell them to believers. We have to tell them to those who are yet to believe. And then finally, God uses human stories to impact other human lives. You think, okay, what are you getting at here? Well, the canvas of the human life brings the impression of pointillism and abstraction of theology and scripture into a vivid realism and three-dimensional art. Think about it. It could just be dots on a page, some obscure passage of scripture, some theology. It means something. And just like those great impressionistic artists, you might get it. But there's so much more when that's accompanied with a life who's living out that text, who's standing in front of you in flesh and blood, seeing that text come alive with someone you know, someone you've interacted with. A few texts that I think have come to mind that I pray and hope that we see in our church body. A wife who lives out 1 Peter 3, living subject to their unbelieving husband, so that even though he doesn't believe the word of God, he may be won to Christ, not by the words, but by the way his wife lives. Oh, how seeing this in the flesh and blood that comes from that beautiful life would change my understanding of that passage. Reading 1 Corinthians 6 and hearing neither the sexually immoral 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Seeing this lived out, that we would have individuals in our church and people that we know here who were any of these things, And yet, we now get to see them as washed, sanctified, justified. See that walking and living among us. That's a testimony and a story that we have to be telling and hearing ourselves in this church. And finally, and and when you read Ephesians 2, that the gospel is able to span racial hatred and divisions, saying, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Seeing people from different racial, economic backgrounds, being able to stand arm in arm in love of Jesus, that's something that I pray and hope we see. We can trust seeing that lived out in flesh and blood walking around us. Telling our stories, describing how we as individuals have met Christ and changed because of it, is intended to impact people's lives. It's how God made us. It's helpful to believers and unbelievers alike. And hearing the story of how Jesus has met you and changed your life is living proof that God saves and includes people like you as part of his master story that he's telling. So tell your story. It's part of gospel mission. It's making an impact in each of our lives. Let's pray. God, we just ask simply that we would hear more of these great stories. God, we ask that you would give us the ability to tell them, the ability to live them out, And God, we ask for each of the varied lives here, the different sins and backgrounds and struggles that we face, God, that you would paint with them beautiful pictures and tell beautiful stories of your redemption and love. 